Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, hello and welcome again to our shared online on-demand Advent service. My name is David. I'm one of the elders and pastor at Missio Day Humboldt Park, and I'm so grateful that we could we can, we can worship in this way, even in the midst of a lockdown, even in the midst of such separation. We still have gathered together. And today we launch our Advent series. We have four weeks of Advent, and today I'm focusing in on hope. Now, the, the title for this year's Advent series is How the Light Gets In, and that for me is right at the forefront because the one thing I'm aware of in this season more than anything is darkness, and I long for what this season provides, and that is movement, movement from dark to light. You know, every day during the season of Advent, it gets a little bit colder, and it gets a whole lot darker just before Christmas is actually the, the shortest and darkest uh, day in the entire calendar year. And so as we begin and as we look at hope and as we frame what Advent is, we must be reminded that Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins with the recognition that human progress is a deception. And I think that, generally speaking, we might balk at that statement. Certainly, if we weren't in 2020, we would balk at that statement. But on our own, human progress is a deception. We don't have to spend much time gathering examples of this in our city, in our country, and in our world. In many ways, this year, more than any other, there has been clarity on just how much human progress is a deception. Stories of injustice, the presence of violence, active division, these are commonplace in our experiences. So Advent begins in the dark. Claire Brown, she wrote this, Advent is a Christian liturgical tradition. The season is one of penitence and preparation. So before the joy of Christ's birth at Christmas, we walk through weeks of uncertainty about the world. We repent of our sins. We grapple with our need for God's intervention and God's call to address injustices in the world. And we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ through faithful work and prayer. I love what she says here. We keep our hand to the plow while we search the skies for signs of God's presence. What's cultivated in us in this time is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what we should say in this season. Would you come near to us? Would you bring light into these dark places? Would you re-envision us to your purposes? Would you resource us for the cause of mercy and justice and peace? Now, it's tempting for the church to consider itself somehow removed. And when I say that immediately, you might think, well, Dave already talked about that in the Kingdom Citizens series. He talked about how we don't want to be nationalists, we don't want to be separatists, and how we are, are firmly rooted in this, in this earth, and we want to be called to uh, an incarnational ministry, called to being, being present where the Lord has placed us. And now, whereas we might say that that is true, that we don't feel like we are somehow removed from the general wretchedness or darkness of this world, I think some of our theology would say that. For us to, to not have that posture of uh, the Beatitudes and saying, like, we're spiritually bankrupt before God. 
And so the, the, the temptation for the church is to somehow operate on this higher level of existence, a plane of isolated blessing, to be in the world but not of the world, somehow without our hands and feet rooted in the reality of this present darkness. So the church's very ancient liturgical tradition, this Advent season, calls the theology of blessing sharply into question. It calls for the church, first of all, the people who thought that they had uh, guaranteed prosperity and certainty, the chosen ones of God, first and all, it says that Advent begins in the dark. Now, our text throughout this series will be uh, kind of all, all over the place. And, and, and at this point, I'll pause with my sermon and just remind you that we have a resource guide for you uh, that's available to be a companion guide along with these sermon series that will navigate through this Advent season. And so we have uh, a weekly guide for whoever is in your home, your, your lockdown crew, uh, the, the weekly activity of discussion and, and prayer and engaging in each of these themes for the week. And then we also have a devotional guide, which is a daily prayer guide that uh, links up the, uh, uh, the Book of Common Prayer and then our regular readings within the scripture. And so I want to encourage you to go to missiodaychicago.com and, and to find that there. So our text for today is in Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verse 1 through 5 is what was just read. Now I won't read all of it again because it was done so well, but I'll just highlight a few of those verses. The first one was, oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake in your presence. Verse 3 says, when you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And you, in verse 5, welcome those who gladly do good and who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. So how can a people like us be saved? This is the starting point for every single one of us in the Advent season. This is the, the driving question in this watchfulness of the Advent season is how can any of us be saved? Well, much of Isaiah was written in the time of King Uzziah, especially the, the first part of Isaiah. And it was a time of prosperity, especially during uh, his reign. The reign was a time of power, of national pride, and it made it difficult for people to trust in God. To trust in God, one, is like, why do we need God? Because things are going so good for us. Or certainly God affirms our nation. God affirms our behavior. God affirms our pursuits. So there's a confidence that, that one, they didn't need God or that God affirmed their actions and was for them. And their view of God was measured by all of their prosperity. So why look to him? Why anticipate his presence? Where was the need to trust in God? These were guiding questions. And I would say that in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of certainty, in the midst of control, what God offers in his own presence and also what God offers in how we are to live to one another and unto him is less than appealing. Israel and Judah, they were trusting in themselves. Verse 5 says, right, you welcome those gladly who do godly things or do good, who follow you in godly ways, but you're angry with us because we're consistent, constant sinners. How can a people like us be saved? Isaiah chapters 2 through 12 are filled with stories, sermons, messages of hope, lament, songs that cry out this question, ask this question, are you truly trusting in God? 
or is your trust in something or someone else? So as Advent begins in the dark, and as we are talking about hope, that question is a relevant one for us. Where is your hope placed? And is it perishable? And I believe, certainly from the story that we find in Isaiah and from our own experience in 2020, that God is cultivating a desperation in his people. A desperation aimed to full submission, full obedience to God. We're an in-part kind of people, I think. Uh, we want to be uh, standing on certain platforms or certain issues when it's advantageous for us. Much of 2020, I think, is sharpening that. I think uh, the gray is like limiting. Who you are and where you stand is, is seen like never before. And so as followers of Jesus, are we fully devoted, submitted? Is our allegiance given to him? And are we obedient to God? Because his terms are the terms of love. Well, the rest of our, our text for today is Isaiah 64, 6 through 9. And it goes like this. It's not, a, it's not a pretty portion of scripture. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. Our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name. No one pleads for your mercy. Therefore, you've turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, and yet, O oh Father, you are our God. We are but the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So do not be angry with us. Lord, please don't remember our sins forever. Would you look at us, we pray, and see that we are still your people. You are our God, and we are still your people. The thought of this whole book is that the proud, self-sufficient Israel can come and become the witness to the greatness of God once again. So what happens amongst these arrogant and prideful people is, is sent throughout the world. The thought here is that the cleansing uh, that would come, the presence of God, is not just for the people alone, but that they can become what they were created for, and that's a witness bearer of the greatness of God. And this only happens, this will only happen when Israel and Judah have been reduced to helplessness by his just judgment. And in that place, in that place of, of brokenness, once again, they could be restored to life by his unmerited grace. I mentioned this earlier, but uh, when I think about uh, Advent and I go to the New Testament equivalent, I think about Jesus, what he said uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the utterly bankrupt. Blessed are the ones who have no other option but to turn to the unmerited favor and grace of God and all that he has to offer, not part of what he has to offer. Only then, only then can we become what we were created for and to be uh, witnesses to the greatness of God. Remember like in 64 that was read, like, like oh, that the heavens would birth, burst forth and you would come down. Because when you came before, you did wondrous deeds far greater than anything we could ask, think, or imagine. I love what Brian shared the other day, and it was, we have a why not God. Why not express and why not uh, do miraculous things? 
you read through the scriptures, and, and maybe this is like one of the few times during the year that as a family, you're actually reading through the word together, and you're telling a singular story about the greatest gift and the greatest story ever told, and it is miraculous to see throughout scripture how God showed up, how God delivered, how God uh, displayed his wondrous deeds. Why not here and why not now? Why not in the midst of the darkness? So where is God when it is dark? And if we begin in the the dark, we must begin with the truth that the church has always proclaimed, and that is that God never hides himself without a purpose. Somewhere and somehow, in spite of, of all appearances, his vindication awaits the proper moment. And so at the heart of this Advent season is the proclamation that God does not remain distant. God did not remain where he was. God was, uh, was not high above the misery of his creation, but came down in the midst of it came down to to do more than just sympathize. Jesus of Nazareth displayed power to heal every disease, to drive out every demon, to enter into every single part of our human experience. And then so great was his uh, incarnation in the world that he unleashed the era of the Holy Spirit. He came not only to the poor and to the wretched of the earth, but also to those on the upper level, also those who spend only for themselves, He came for all. To each and all, we bring this announcement. God will come. His justice will prevail. He will destroy evil and pain in all of its forms once and forevermore. And so to the Christian, we are called to live out the expectation of this fulfillment. The life of the church lived in solidarity with those in darkness carries with it the embodiment of certainty. And that is Emmanuel, God with us. I'll go back to Claire Brown's quote. As Christians, we keep our hand to the plow and we search the skies for God's coming presence. You know, when, when we light this candle, if you're in a much darker room than, than the room that I'm at now, you can see that the light is pervasive. Uh, the light cuts through the darkness. But what you also recognize is that, in fact, it is darkness. Darkness is all around. And so I think about this implication of Uh, the incarnation on our lives. This hope and this watchfulness is not just individual, but extends to, it extends to our vocations, it extends to those Zoom calls, it extends to the, the times we have with our family. Like the hope of God that burns, maybe even small within us, carries with it into areas of, of, of darkness. Now, I'll be brief, but I wanted to close us with a a thematic reading for hope. And this is adapted by Michael McRae's reflection in the the work, Keep Watch With Me. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, Keep watch with me because you do not know the day nor the hour that the Lord will come. And we are needing to keep watch. We are yearning for a better world. And we wonder how long we can wait. And Advent is all about waiting. Waiting. It's about patience. It's about expectation. It's about longing. We wait and hope for the arrival of something better than what we have now. And this is a a hope that is joy-filled. But Advent is also about ache because longing and waiting are also painful experiences. For those unjustly imprisoned, longing for freedom, for oppressed brothers and sisters walking and waiting for justice, for those on the streets dreaming of a warm home, waiting 
is agony. Both Advent and peacemaking are experiences of hope, and hope is a stuff of survival. It's little wonder that people who live in places of suffering are often filled with great hope and joy. What choice do they have but to hope? For the alternative is death. We hope that something more beautiful is coming because the alternative is unbearable. This work of hope is a muscular work. It's filled with sorrow and faith and perseverance and resilience. The work of peace is the work of preparation. And we wait, yes, but we have much to do while we wait. The waiting of Advent is an active waiting. As the West African proverb says, when you pray, move your feet. So we watch, we wait, we work. Part of the truth is that our city is broken and breaking more every day. But that is only part of the truth because our city is also a place of beauty, love, and generosity. There is kindness, there is laughter, there is healing. Historian Thomas Cahill once wrote, there are really only two movements in the world. One is kindness and the other is cruelty. We want to be part of the movement towards kindness because we do believe a kinder world is on its way. We believe it because we must and we will watch for it. With open eyes and feet moving, will you keep watch with us? Will you keep watch with me? Hands to the plow and eyes fixated on heaven. Jesus called us, called us to be watchful all throughout the Gospels. Don't be complacent. Don't give up. Persevere. I will be with you till the end of the age. I will give you one another. The Spirit of God will go before you, but never lose sight of the hope that is set before us. And so I'm praying for this Advent season in the midst of the darkness that hope would be seen and that watchful eyes and calloused hands would be markers of Missio Dei. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the hope of our messy world. This Advent season, would you help us slow down, listen to your voice, focus on what's really important, for we place our hope in you as we prepare our hearts to celebrate your birth on Christmas. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.